The text for the sermon this day is taken from that first reading, which was Acts chapter 6 and 7. Grace, peace, and mercy to you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. On the day of Pentecost, the Apostle Peter stood tall before the crowds and he preached. And eventually he said to the crowds that they crucified Jesus. Now, not granted this was on the day of Pentecost and there were many people, many of whom were probably in Jerusalem also on Passover. Not every one of them likely was a part of the trial of Jesus. So how could Peter say to all of them that you crucified him? Well, he could say it for the same reason he could say it to all of us. You crucified Jesus with your sins. Now, today is Mother's Day, in case anybody forgot. If you forgot, uh, you're going to have to hurry to the store right after church, come up with a good excuse as to why. But today is Mother's Day. And so if I were to be able to have an interview with your mother, or father, or grandfather, or grandmother, whoever it was that was charged to raising you, and I were able to ask them about if you were an innocent child, how would that conversation go? And note, they cannot lie. Normally parents, oh, they are wonderful, but secretly they remember those days where they're like, uh, who could I trade them for? So... We know it wouldn't go well. We know, of, and that right there, when our parents asked us to clean up our room, to come in when we were supposed to, to eat our vegetables, no matter how painful that might have been, or whatever food it was you didn't like. That was an evidence of our sinful, rebellious nature. And the thing is, is when we become an adult, it doesn't go away. In fact, we just become more clever about the way we sin. And much more clever about how we hide it. But nonetheless, the truth remains that we are the ones who crucified Jesus. And we, like that crowd that day, should be pierced to the heart. And so that crowd said to Peter, what must we do to be saved? To which Peter said, call upon the name of the Lord and you will be saved. So it is in the waters of baptism that we are showered. We are drenched in the gifts of salvation. We are declared to be a child of God, given the blessings of, that was gained and won by the cross. And so we are made children of God, and by that we are enabled to call upon the name of the Lord. And therefore we are saved. We are saved from hell and damnation, which is what we deserve. Yes, we need to talk about that from time to time. 
Hell is a real place. And it is a real consequence. And it is what every human being deserves. But by the grace of God, by his blood shed on the cross, we are guaranteed that instead of hell, which is a a small little dang prison cell with eternal torment, we get, as we read in John, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. Now, if you're here for Easter, you remember you might have heard me say this already, but that translation, I just don't like it. Because in my Father's house are many rooms. Then it looks like, well, you might be going to a hotel, which I guess that's okay. Or it could sound like you're going to a hospital or a nursing home, because they also have a lot of rooms. And doesn't sound as good. Well, if you know the old King James, what is the translation? It's actually, in my father's house are many mansions. Now that's a bit different story. If somebody said to you, hey, you get a hotel room. Oh, that sounds nice. But if somebody says to you, hey, you get a mansion. Are you going, oh, that's nice. You're probably like, sweet. Sounds awesome. I mean, how many people don't dream of the idea of a mansion, you know, where there's a bowling alley and, you know, you get your own private cooks or whatever? I don't know if there's going to be a bowling alley in in the mansion that God prepares for us, but, and who's to say? Maybe there is. I don't know. But what I do know is that we were destined for hell. We are destined for damnation, and yet by the grace of God, we are given a mansion. That is what we are promised. The blessing of what God has won for us, what salvation means, is beyond our wildest imaginations. And the mansion that's being talked about is better than any mansion you've ever seen on the e-network or anywhere in your life. Shoot forward three years after Pentecost. The church is growing very, very fast. And the apostles cannot keep up with the work. So they appoint certain men for the purpose of carrying out other duties. We actually do something very similar today in our day. We have elders. We We have members on the council. So that the pastors can attend to the duty of proclamation of the word, the administration of the the sacraments, there are jobs are appointed to the various members of the congregation. That model was set up in the book of Acts. As it says, it is not right that we should give up the preaching of the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute. Of good, respute, of good repute. So, and one of these men was Stephen. So Stephen is not a pastor. He is more on line, in line with the modern day elder. And he became bold in his proclamation that Jesus had risen from the dead, that Jesus is the Christ. For this he was arrested. And he was brought before the Sanhedrin. 
And he unwrapped before them almost a large portion of the Old Testament and explained how all of it pointed to Jesus. And then he says, you stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit. As your fathers did, so do you. And then he again said, Behold, I see the heavens opened, and the Son of Man standing on the right hand of God. At these words, they rushed him, and they threw stones at his head until he slowly died. But before he died, he said these words, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And again, he says, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. If you're familiar with the passion account of Jesus, you know that he said, into your hands I commend my spirit. He said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And when he was on trial, he said, I tell you, from now on you'll see the Son of Man descending up from the clouds of heaven. Three statements that Stephen echoed. He didn't say the exact same words, but very similar. Because you see, he's a Christian. The word Christian means small Christ or little Christ. When you were baptized into the name of Jesus, you were made a Christian. And that means you were called to be a little Christ. And how did Christ exemplify himself? By dying that his enemies may live. And that is what you are called to be. You are called to live a life in which you are hated. Jesus says, if they hated him, they will hate you also. No servant is greater than his master. The Apostle Paul says that all who seek to live a godly life will be persecuted. He doesn't say they might be persecuted. They will be persecuted. But see, in the United States, in our community, we really take that gospel for granted. We are not being what we are called to be. When I first moved here, when I was in the process of moving, when I go to places, occasionally I'd mention that I was going to be the new associate pastor at St. Paul Lutheran Church here in Ida Grove. And most of the time, people just looked at me with a blank stare is that they never heard of it. Which, that's kind of troubling. Given the fact that our membership makes up roughly, I mean, it's a little bit less than this, but pretty close to half of the population of our town, that should not be happening. I'm not saying that I need to be glorified and people need to roll out a red carpet when I came. It's not about me, 
It's the fact that people don't know of our church. Even though we are right down the road from the elementary, the community center, we're not that far from the high school, the water tower is right on our property or in the middle of our parking lot. And yet, we're unknown. Where people don't have things to say. They should be saying, oh yeah, my... I mean, even if they're not a member, they should be saying, well, yeah, my neighbor, they're a member at that church. They should be saying, oh yeah, those people, they just talk about Jesus all the time. Friday, I went to... I worked with a few of our high schoolers, one of them who's going to be graduating next week, uh, at Orphan Grain Train. How many of you have ever been to Orphan Grain Train? Good, there's a decent number. Hopefully, how many of you know where Orphan Grain Train is? Okay, make, hopefully, better be almost everybody. But you know, I don't know if you know this, but when I... When I went bowling with our high schoolers, I asked that question. They didn't know where it was. When we went bowling, do you know where the bowling alley is in relationship to Orphan Grain Train? The only thing separating it is railroad tracks. So I made sure when we left, I said, look straight forward, you will see it. But in, that, in, that, in Orphan Grain Train, there is piles and piles of clothes that need to be sorted. And they, need, and they do sorting every single Tuesday, 9 to 11. And I asked them, well, how many people from our church, given the fact that it is in our town, come over here? And they said there are some, but it did not sound like there's very many, given how many we, people we could. How often in our church, if you were to ask our elders... How, how easy is it us, for us to get ushers? How often do we have to scramble and grab the random person because nobody signed up? This last Monday, when we were talking about the service schedule, people, a comment was made that people don't, not many people go to Bible class in relationship to our service times. And I said, that's not a good, th my thought, I didn't say this, but that's not a good thing. We are supposed to be in God's word regularly, as often as possible. We should be in Bible class. We should not, that should not even become a thought that, oh, not a lot of people go, so we could move it around wherever we want. I don't know if you realize, but the way we do confirmation, and this is not just this is just the church in general, we don't do it, we don't do it the way it's supposed to be. The way that 99% of churches do it is that ki the kids come to church on Wednesday and they sit in class. But you don't realize this the way it's actually supposed to be done is that the parents are the ones who are supposed to be going to class not the kids. The parents are supposed to be coming to learn Luther's large catechism so that they could go home and teach it to their kids. In other words, the ones who are supposed to be teaching kids so they're ready to be confirmed is mom and dad. 
But because most, church, most parents will not put in that time, we are for, it is forced to be the way it is. And that's not just this church. That's pretty much every church in the country. That is how far off we are from being that little Christ. We don't want to sacrifice time for the gospel. But as, did you notice what, it said, what Jesus said? I am the way, the truth, and the life. Not a way, not a truth, not a life, but the. No one comes to the Father except through him. There is no salvation outside of Jesus. On average, in this county, only one in five people are in church on a given Sunday. Which means we should be loud in our faith. We should be proclaiming what Jesus has done from the mountaintops. People should be getting aggravated with us. It's like, oh, they're always talking about Jesus. Now, note, aggravated that we're talking about Jesus, not aggravated about how we talk about Jesus. If you're being a jerk, that's the reason why people might get annoyed with you. But be in patience, gentleness, kindness, expressing your faith to others, that is what you are called to do. Because the message you have, there's a reason Peter stood before thousands of people on Pentecost and proclaimed it. Because there is no more precious message in the entire world. There is no more beautiful message in the entire world. Because, see, outside of the gospel, outside of what Jesus did on the cross, outside of the resurrection, nothing in this world matters. Rather, see, it is that event which gives everything meaning. That's why when we think that, sometimes you'll hear people say, I put God first in my life. That's it. That's, God does not want to be first in your life. That's, he wants more than that. First means, okay, I have God time, here's family time, here's work time, etc., etc. No. When you have family time, that's God time. When you have work time, that's God time. When you have time with your friends, that's also God time. If you're, having, if you're enjoying your hobbies, guess what? That's also God time. Everything you do should be in service to your God, should be in witness to your God. So even if when I go to Wizard World next week, which will be fun, Charlie Sheen's not going to be there, but not that I really cared, but <laughs> you know what? Even there, if you keep your eyes, and actually this has actually happened when I've gone to training camps at, for the Vikings training camps. You're sitting there waiting for autographs. I've had some pretty good conversations with people about faith. You keep your eyes and your ears open, opportunities will land right in your laps. And if they're not, get down on your knees and pray to God. Say, God, give me an opportunity. Open my eyes to it. Give me the words. And do so. Because you have been saved. You have salvation. You have a mansion. 
For that, our hearts do not need to be troubled. Therefore, as our hearts have been untroubled, may we proclaim the goodness of our Lord until he comes. In Jesus' name, amen. The grace, peace, and mercy of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, keeping the one true faith to life everlasting. Amen. Please stand as we continue with We Praise You and Acknowledge You.